All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, welcome into season four, episode four of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. My name is Andrew Drozdak. I'm one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by my good buddy, the best brewer in town, the man who makes being a girl dad legendary, Thomas Bowen. What's going on, buddy? Man, I am doing great. Much, much better weekend here. Got to see some great football, even outside of the Gamecocks as well. Well, the the weather's turning a little cooler. Football is in the air, my friend. I like it. I like it I a lot. I love it. I love it. We're starting to get those crisp mornings. Uh, it feels like football. All right. So with that being said, let's jump right into this, Bowen. And for anybody new to the show, maybe you're listening to us for the first time. Thank you for doing that. Make sure and rate, review us, and subscribe. But we like to break down scheme around here. We are football fanatics. We are football junkies. This is the X's and O's shows for the Jimmys and the Joes. And so we're going to get into the the nitty-gritty, if you will, of football. And we are Gamecock fans, so we're going to talk 99% of the time about the Gamecocks, their upcoming game, their previous game. And we'll look at a couple games around uh, college football as well. Thomas, with that being said, we're going to jump into our Furman review, if you will. Thomas, speaking from an offensive side of the ball, you got to say there was a whole lot of improvement. The offensive line in particular looked a lot better. You saw some young guys get in there. Uh Tree and tro, which, by the way, the fact that we have a tree and a tro is very confusing for me. I, I struggle with that. But both those guys looked great, especially to be as young as they were. Um, as uh, D'Lo said in his presser today, uh, they are built the right way. We are recruiting the right type of body types for SEC offensive linemen. I, those two have bright futures. Um, hate a little bit that they got to be pressed into service so early, but if they can help us, then we need to get them out there. Um, and I just think we are going to see them this week. Thomas, do you think we're going to see them this week? I, I, you're asking a lot to put a true freshman in Athens, 3.30 on CBS, hot, rapid, you know, rapid crowd. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, they, and, and and I was I was thinking about this too, you know, Offensive line, I believe we've we've talked about this before, but is is arguably the hardest position to recruit at a high school level. Wouldn't you say that? Right. Yes. Totally agree. Hardest yeah. to predict. Hardest to forget. Yeah. And, and it, it's it, if you think about it logically, I'm assuming a lot of it has to do with the fact that the majority of kids that are in high school that are getting Division One Power Five offers on the offensive line, they're going to be bigger than most of the kids they're playing against, right? So it's it's are they are they a very skilled offensive lineman or they're just bigger than everybody and pushing them around, right? Yeah, I mean that is the hard thing. I mean, let's be honest. I was a starting left tackle in high school at all of 5'10, 240 pounds. So, you know, let's <laughs> let's say I was trying to block a Javion Clowney in high school. He's gonna own me. He's gonna destroy me. And well, well, apparently with that size, you could play offensive line at Coastal and now at UNC. So that's I mean, fair. And, that's fair. That's fair. And handle the Gamecocks defense. I was about to line. say and beat the defense, Gamecock defensive line pretty good. But yeah, I mean it is so hard to predict because that exactly what you said. The average offensive lineman in the in Power Five and the SEC probably six four, six five, three ten, three fifteen. If you're if you're pulling yeah. that kind of weight in high school and that size, you're just bigger than everybody else. So it's really yeah. hard to tell 
Um, getting into our other players that I thought played really well, um, Mario Anderson played a lot uh, on Saturday night and looked very impressive. I love Dak Joyner. We're going to talk about um, some ideas I have on how we could get creative with him uh, this this week in Athens. But I think Mario Anderson has got to be in the backfield more often. He is a more natural runner. He is a more confident runner. And I mean, to, to in all fairness to DK, is the second game ever probably is playing running back. Definitely his second game ever playing running back at the college. Right. So, I mean, right. he had some explosive moments. And he's a hard-nosed kid, but Mario looked much more comfortable. You know, uh, Xavier Leggett Thomas just continues. Again, again, yeah. He's leading all Power 5 conferences with receiving yards, leading the SEC. He's possessed. He's a monster. I saw somebody compare him, and Thomas, you know, this is usually my stick, compare (laughs) him to DK Metcalf in the NFL, uh, just by by size. And, I mean, he's a big athletic strong dude another guy that D'Lo was raving about uh during his presser this week uh talking about how he practices and how they tell the young guys watch 17 practice how 17 practice you want to be a guy like 17 just a stud of course you know as a wide receiver you got to have a quarterback that's getting you the ball Spencer Radler continues his success that he had against UNC with very little protection, sacked nine times. Of course, this success goes all the way back to Tennessee and really Kentucky last season. He is a different football player. He is he was in this game 25 of 27 for 345 yards and three touchdowns. The Fantastic. two the two misses were were a little high. One was to Juice Wells. I I can't remember who the other one was too, but it was a catch. I mean, it was, it was a, it wasn't a great, Oh, it was, he threw behind uh, Eddie Davis on an RPO or Eddie that's Lewis, right. I should yeah. say. And Lewis. you know, those are just some, some <clears throat> you know, that's going to happen. But when you throw it as well as he was throwing it, just outstanding. Speaking of Eddie Lewis, what a breakout game for him. He, he, Dude, looked, he looked great. He looked fantastic. He looked fluid. He looked smooth. He looked explosive. I loved that. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think he got more time in the game because of the injury to Brown. Um, good old AB yeah. uh, got hurt and that got Eddie out there. But hey, sometimes you're a ball player when the lights come on is when you play your best. And, and some guys are, are are gamers. They they don't play. You know, they're not. I'm not saying he's a not giving his best effort in practice. But when some guys the lights come on and man, they're at a different level. They're they're clicked in. And I mean, he looked really really good. Our boy, my boy, Omega Blake got Omega. himself a touchdown. Looked really good. Speaking of people getting touchdowns, Luke Doty, good old Luke Doty, got himself a, a, a touchdown reception. And Thomas looked pretty doggone good doing it. Um, you know, he looked smooth, looked natural catching the football. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was damn excited too when he got in that end zone, and good for him too. I mean, yeah, absolutely. He's he. He he's another one of those diehard Gamecocks to the core. He's gonna do whatever he can for the team, and you love to have those guys. Absolutely, team guy, and that's what you need. Um, we mentioned this briefly early, uh, a minute ago. AB little, was it a hamstring? They finally said that he hurt his hamstring. Um, yeah, and when when it, when he first went down, I didn't even notice what happened. I was like, was it a knee? And then my father in law right. said, no, I think it was an ankle, and I couldn't right. figure out what was going on. But apparently, he's he's moving around, so it's not as bad as I thought right. it was. Well, we need to make sure, Thomas, that he's getting 
some ice on that hamstring to let it heal up. Ice is expensive, Thomas. Is there anything you can tell me about how we could fix something about that? Oh, man, you are right on the money with that. And our good friends at Twice the Ice can help you out with that. Man, I got to tell you, I, I love I love these machines. They're so much cheaper. It's better ice. We're doing some tailgating this past weekend. I went by, got 20 pounds dumped directly in my cooler. Cost me $2.50. You can't beat that deal. Great ice. You don't have to deal with busting it up on the concrete, getting dirt everywhere. These machines are conveniently located around the Columbia area, including Chapin, Irmo, St. Andrews, West Columbia, downtown, and even Eastover. And we have a special offer for you, our listeners. You can get one bag absolutely free. When you're at the machine, just text the word AVERAGE to the yellow phone number with a bag slide out. It's super cool, super convenient. Go get your free ice. Check out tticlub.com slash Lake Murray Ice for participating locations. Before you make the trip down to Athens, get you some ice, get some free ice on us. Thank you to our guys from Lake Murray Ice for doing that. Uh, Thomas, you know, we haven't talked yet about the young guys. Um, First and foremost, you got to talk about Lenora Sellers. We do have a new segment coming up here in just a few minutes with uh, some listener mail, and we got a concerned. Gamecock fan that has a hot take on the Lenora Seller situation. We'll get to that in a moment. But Thomas, what a, a debut performance by the true freshman himself. I, I mean, what what can you say? Throwing dimes, running hard, showing off the yeah, strength. It, the 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 touchdown pass. It, it was so beautiful. And here's a couple things about it. First of all, when he released that ball. I immediately said he threw that into the upper deck. I was like, that's way out of here. Right. And damned if the receiver was it Tyshawn Russell they called that? I, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Tyshawn Russell ran right underneath it. It was a perfectly thrown ball. I didn't I didn't realize it until later when I went back and looked and also heard in a press conference. I don't know if it was Sellers that said it or, or D'Lo or somebody, but that was supposed to be a half field read. And he did yeah. read that left half of the field, mm-hmm. but then he said, screw it, went back because he saw it. And like, that's a freshman quarterback. I don't care if you're playing against third string scrubs from Furman. Like, that's a big moment for a freshman in this first game. Yeah. D'Lo said in his presser uh, that <laughs> it was that uh, scene in Major League when uh, good old. Um, Oh gosh, uh, Willie Mays Hayes makes the basket catch, and and the manager goes, "Great job! Don't ever do it again." He said he told Dilo. Yeah. Dilo said he told uh, he told Lenores, "Hey man, great find, but let's not do that again." Uh, and <laughs> you know, but he did give him some props. Said sometimes you got to have an athlete that can make those decisions in those moments and and take the play from off the the sheet of the playbook and and make it happen. And you got to have that. And, and you know that's what he did there. Love that he got a a, a touchdown into Nick Harbor. Um, I did see uh, after the game in his presser, Shane Beaver said Nick came over and gave him a big hug and said, thank you so much for the opportunity, coach. I'm just so glad that you, you know, you gave me this opportunity. And 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 Beaver said he wanted to be like, um, uh, thank you for the opportunity to coach you. Thank you for coming to South Carolina. Yeah. Um, so got to love that. Got to love that. Uh, DJ Braswell looked good as a runner as well. Um, he looked very comfortable. Overall, Thomas, the offense looked much improved from last week's performance. <clears throat> What's your take on, on anything <clears throat> yeah, I haven't hit on on offense? And then also, what, what, what are your thoughts on the defense? Yeah, and, you know, I, I really think uh, to, to, to put a, 
bow on what you were saying about Braswell as well as Mario Anderson, Mario Anderson, excuse me. Um, that kid, you're right. He looks like Mario Anderson looks more like a, like a natural running back. He runs mm-hmm. downhill. He's got a low center of gravity. He's shifty. Again, I don't care about the competition. Like you can tell he's a more natural running back. And I really think that Anderson and Braswell is our best one, two punch at running back as opposed to DK and Juju again, right. DK great Gamecock teammate. We'll talk more about him later. Right. Some of your wacky ideas, to uh to keep him on the field, but I just I, I think Anderson and Braswell is our best one two punch there. Again, Rattler played phenomenal. You can't ask for more out of the out of that. Kilgore on defense led the defense with six tackles. I said in the preseason that Kilgore coming in as a freshman in the defensive backfield just really difficult to do, but I thought he was going to contribute and contribute well and early. He led the defense with six tackles. I think Kilgore is really coming into his own. He's playing like a fantastic freshman, continuing to get better, adjust to the speed of the game. Um, defense was, uh, as far as pressure goes, solid. Three sacks, four tackles for loss, five pass deflections. Um, you know, the the what was bad was rush yards. You know, yeah. we, we still don't have a rushing game going back to that. We need Anderson and Braswell in there. I think we finished the game at like 2.8 yards a carry. Yeah. Like yeah. that's 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 not gonna get it done if you're going mm-hmm. against the Paladins and and you're and you're coming against the Bulldogs of Georgia. Um I'm still seeing some over pursuit by our linebackers, particularly yes. Blanton. Um he got better as the game went on, uh, and the defense tightened down and forced more passing situations. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, I get that, that's fundamental football. I'm tired of seeing that. Um, but finally, I, I will say that it, they did a great job offensively of getting the ball out early. I think D'Lo made a conscious effort to get the ball out early. In fact, I saw a good stat today from SEC StatCat. Highly recommend that follow on Twitter. None. None of Spencer Rattler's first quarter attempts went more than 10 yards downfield. Five of them were behind the line. Like that's getting it out quick, getting it on the mm-hmm. perimeter, utilizing that quick passing game. Um, it just sucks because we don't have a running game to build off of that. 27% of the runs had contact behind the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And that's against Furman. That's against Furman. So it's uh it's it's gonna be coming in this Georgia game. So you know, but to, to put a perfect bow on the Furman game, I think we have a new segment here. Is that right? That's right. We have a, uh, a mail in uh, question from one of our listeners. Thomas, you want to you want to read that off for us and and tell us what they're thinking? Yeah. So uh, from one of our listeners here, <clears throat> I was hoping sellers would never see the field this year. Those who followed him last year in high school knew we swooped in and stole him last minute and that he is also the future. That being said, Rattler has all the confidence in the world after five straight stellar performances going back to last year. The last thing we need is that confidence being rattled. I see what you did there, anonymous listener. I like it. Clever. But we know how it works and we know our fans. After seeing Sellers drop a ball 60 yards in a bucket with an Anthony Richardson combine-like flick of the wrist on the second pass of his career, all it will take is two interceptions and no points and a half for fans to be chanting Seller's name from the stands. We don't need that, but it will happen. So here's my question. Has Doty's impact as a possible threat at wide receiver 
scared the coaches enough to not want him to fill that backup role in those shitty late minutes in the game so he won't get injured, thus making them having to put sellers in before they really wanted to. Thoughts, sign, concern, cop. Draws, what are your thoughts on that? That's that's a good question. That's that's an excellent question. Excellent question. I would say if this was last season – and Spencer Radler was was you know his first year as a starter. We didn't see the the upset at Tennessee. We did or against Tennessee at home. We didn't see the win at Clemson. We didn't see the performance in the in the Gator Bowl. That maybe he might look over his shoulder. Also, think about where what he's been through. When he was in Norman, Oklahoma, Caleb Williams took his job, and he's he's oh, yeah. seen, he's in the seen, middle of a game in the middle of a game, and and he's seen this that that for. I believe Shane Beamer, he's a very big culture coach. And, you know, I don't think that he's, I don't think Radler is going to ever get rattled uh, or or be like, hey, what are they thinking with this guy? What are they going to do with this guy? And, and I just, I, I hear what our listeners saying and I get what he's saying. And he's right. Say Spencer has a bad game. Say, you know, we got Mississippi State at home in two weeks. Let's say, you know, at halftime he has thrown two picks and we're down 17 to nothing. There are going to be fans that are chanting, sellers, sellers, sellers. And that, I think if, if, if he was a different player, if he was not as experienced as he is, that might get to him. I just don't think it's going to. I think he's too mature for that. And I think our coaches have, have let him know, you're the man. You're the guy. Because I could see sellers having a red zone package this week in Athens. And I don't think that means anything other than the fact that he's a, a special talent and we might need a different look on the field. Thomas, what are you, what are your thoughts? Now you make some very valid and, and great points, but let's actually let's, let's dig into the actual question here. Let's talk, well, let's talk about Doty's impact as a threat at wide receiver. Now I will say, yes, I think there is, there is something behind this, what our listeners are saying, because especially now with the with the injuries that we're having at receiver, with Brown going down, that rhymed, um, ah, wasn't yeah, even yeah. planned. Um, honestly, up. we need as many people. Know it. Yeah, we, we need as much, de- as much depth as possible at wide receiver, and Doty has shown that he can fill a role out there, and he can catch the ball, and he can run routes. You know, he's not going to be wide receiver one, one that's going to be Leggett, but I think the more depth we can have out there, the better. And I think it's also a situation of, hey, maybe it's not all bad because we can we can work Lenoris in, we can give him some packages and still preserve his red shirt as long as they ride that line close enough and don't play over. I don't even remember what the rules are anymore. Right. Um, but yeah, and I think if if more injuries happen out there, that's going to be more of an issue. All the more reason why I think. <laughs> Move DK into the slot. Get him mm-hmm. out of there. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that as we get into that. Now, Thomas, this isn't on the rundown, but kind of goes with this segment here. We're going to call this the uh, the Dennis Draws That Corner. Dad asked me a great question. I actually texted it to you, but I want to get it on the air. He said, if you had to pick winning in Athens against Georgia or winning in Knoxville against the Volunteers this year, and you can only get one, which one are you taking? This is quite the uh, the Sophie's choice, yeah. And, and I have been thinking about it since you asked it. For me, and and I hate both of these teams a whole lot. I really do. I don't even know which one I hate more. But I think I have to go with my putting aside my hatred for Tennessee 
which it might be a little bit more than Georgia right now. I don't know. I'm not going to get into that point of it, but we Georgia's two-time defending national champs. They're number one in the country. We we beat the brakes off Tennessee last year. Yeah, I don't want to hear Tennessee fans. I, d- I don't want to hear that crap. So I think I would go with beating Georgia and Athens because it would just ruin their season. Right, yeah. And I think, um, you know, when we spoke about this last night or texted about it, I should say, I said I would pick uh, the win in Knoxville because same reasons you just mentioned. And, you know, in all the talk from Tennessee since last season, anytime they see a Gamecock, they can't wait to tell us they're going to put a yeah. win on us. I'm the- like, y'all need to find some joy, man. Yeah, they're like, just obsessed with it. And so, I mean, I really <laughs> would love to, to, leave at, to leave Knoxville with a win. But logistically speaking, logically speaking, and honestly for your season, beating Georgia – isn't they're number one in the country, you know, that that's huge for recruiting. That's huge for national exposure. Absolutely, That's huge for a lot of things. So if you're thinking with you, with your head and as even, a, even your heart as a fan and, you know, um, I think Kirby smart actually talked about this in his press conference. We recruit against each other all the time. We share a border. We're trying to go into Georgia and get players. They're trying to come into South Carolina and get players. And so a win over them, when they're the number one team, it's CBS, it's it's 330, all that stuff would just be huge overall. So I got to go with a win in Athens. All right, speaking of the Bulldogs, we're going to switch into this week's game uh, and take a look at some schemes here. Thomas, right off the bat here, the line that I most recently saw had us as seven, or excuse me, I wish it was 17, 27 and a half point dog. Uh, is that basically what you've been seeing? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm seeing, and that's and that's about where where I handicap it as well. In fact, when we get towards the end here on our wrap up of this game, I'll uh, talk about talk about this line a little bit. Got you. Um, well, when I was coaching, our offensive coordinator, Jim, <clears throat> good old Coach Halty, we were taking on a team uh, that was, you know, they were probably better than us. And on the Monday after, or excuse me, that Sunday, we were watching film before we all left. He said, "All right." Everybody draw your favorite trick play up on the board because we're going to need every weapon we can get this week. And I think that's what <laughs> D- that's what D'Lo needs to be doing, reaching that bag of tricks. You mentioned this about the Furman game. There was a lot more of a quick passing game. I want you got to see that perimeter passes. Um, also, sprint game. So you can people you've probably heard of a bootleg. Well, that's a little bit longer of a loop on a sprint pass. The quarterback is literally taking the snap and. I don't know if he's necessarily sprinting, but he is running to one side of the line. He is moving the pocket intentionally. I want to see that this week. Got to see that this week. We can't just expect Spencer to sit back there, three-step drop, and, and just not get teed off on. Going to have to get creative. On those perimeter throws you mentioned, Herman started coming up, and, and we eventually did make the adjustment and throw it over their heads, which was great. If, if Georgia starts coming up on you, and they may start off up on you. Georgia may say, "Hey, we're better at DB than you are at wide receiver. We're going, we're going to man you up." Then you got to be able, if they're giving that outside press, you got to be able to switch it from an outside bubble to an inside slant or a tunnel screen or a mesh play or just an in route. You've got to be able to adjust. I believe D'Lo has given Spencer the the ability to do this. We're going to have to as best as possible, get ourselves in the best possible play. We have to take advantage of numbers. We have to take advantage of situations. Cannot just sit back and say, okay, we're going to call it and haul it. RPOs, Thomas, and I'm I'm not always a huge fan of RPOs, but they're going to have to be a part of our game plan this week. Because if we're running an outside zone and we're reading some, and you know, Spencer's reading something, 
and he can see, oh, Lord, here comes the floodgates. He's got to have the ability to pull it out and hit a slant because it's just we can't go first down, four-yard loss, second down, incomplete, third and 14. That's, that's a recipe for disaster. And so you've got to be able to, to get out of those situations. Tight end's got to be a huge part of this week's game plan. As blockers, which they did a little bit more against Furman, and as pass catchers, um, if we're going to be swinging our wide, our running backs out in the flats and getting linebackers to run with them, which we did against Furman a lot, we got to fill those spaces with inside routes, stick routes, in routes, brags by the by the tight ends to 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 take advantage of that. Have to be very West Coast. Uh, we've talked about with the West Coast offense that a lot of times short passing game replaced the running game. Going to have to do that. We're going to have to get those short yards through screens and, and, and slants. We're not going to be able to line up hat on hat and, and, and run a power against these guys or counter against these guys. It's just not going to yeah. happen that way. And so you're going to have to get creative. Get as creative as possible. With that in mind, with A.B.'s injury, Thomas, you mentioned it and I mentioned it, I want to see Dak in more of a slot-type role. The best comparison I can make is Ryan Brewer where he was a running back by trade, but he was in that slot a lot. You know, in San Francisco, they use Devo Samuel as what they call a slot back. And I think with DK, you got to see a little bit of that, where he's out on the wing, out in the slot, and he can come on a reverse. He can come on an end around. He can even come on a counter or an inside zone, but he's not the main back in the backfield because when he's out there, you have to be worried about the swing pass, about the wheel route about, you know, th- in quarterback, or excuse me, running back angle. He's got to be in a run pass, or excuse me, a run catch situation to be very successful, in my opinion. Um, that's got to happen. We're going to have to get creative. I would love to see DK and Mario in the same backfield. Let's get two backs back there. And, you know, it might help on some blocking okay. to have seven blockers. Give me the five linemen and keep the two backs in, and let's go seven blockers. And you, I mean, that only leaves you three guys running routes, but it might be what it takes. It might be what it takes. And with, with Xavier Leggett, with Eddie Lewis, now hopefully with an even healthier Juice Wells, he can have a breakout. I, I like our chances there. But if we can't block, we can't throw, and we got to have extra help. And so we might have to do that. Now, Thomas, you mentioned my, my harebrained schemes and ideas. I think you get a little crazy. Hit DK. Might as well. Hit TK out there. Radler, obviously, at quarterback. Put Sellers out on the field with him. Put Cody out there. You've got four dudes who can throw the football in that situation. There's a lot of stuff you can do to mess with the defense with that. It's a, it's a quick way to get, to get Kirby to call a timeout, too. <laughs> at least make him burn a timeout. At least make him burn a timeout. Especially, let's say, yeah. You know, Spencer decides he's gonna. They have him line up at center, and then they 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 have him go out as a slot wide receiver, and maybe Ramirez is in the backfield with Dak beside him. You know, who's gonna snap it to? Who's gonna, <clears throat> what are gonna do with it? So again, maybe just to confuse them and make them think about something. Um, speaking of defense and Georgia's defense, you got Georgia Bulldogs, one of the best defensive teams in the country. Not surprising when your head coach is a former defensive coordinator, former football play, uh, defensive football player and Kirby Smart learned and, and, and worked under Nick Saban has built Georgia into the new Alabama, in my opinion, and built it around. Yeah. And they have co-defensive coordinators. Is it Glenn? Is it Schusman or Schusman? How do I say his last name? <laughs> Schumann. Schumann. That Schumann. was bad. Okay. All right. Put that in the bad category. 
And of course, we all know, um, don't necessarily love, but we all know former USC head football coach Will Muschamp is on the Georgia staff, and he is uh, listed as a co-defensive coordinator. Thomas, let me ask you this before I get into some scheme stuff. How involved do you think Kirby Smart is in the defensive I know he's involved in the game plan. What do you think on Saturdays? Is he is he a like the defensive Steve Spurrier? Is he in there calling for you know saying things, or is he in their ears, or do you think he's just listening? You know, what what are your thoughts on what Kirby's doing on a Saturday with the defense? I I thought before honestly before this year, um, I thought that he was pretty involved in the play call, but I think I've seen enough evidence this year just just from watching him and Schumann on the sidelines. I'm pretty sure that Schumann is calling this defense. Now, I'm certain that Kirby has veto rights and override sure. for anything, but right. I, I I'm I feel pretty confident that he's getting calls from Schumann because he's even help he's even helping relay and signal those plays in. I think you're right about that. All right, let's talk a little bit about the scheme. It's a 3-4 shell, Thomas. They like to use multiple fronts, but ultimately they're going to have three guys with their hands in the dirt and four linebacker-ish players. Um, one of the things I read that was really interesting, Thomas, one of Kirby's big ideas on defense is to be able to stop the run with as few players as possible because then that allows you yeah. to uh, attack the pass. I thought that was genius. I, I love that concept yeah how can if you, if how you can got we, the personnel to do it yeah right. how can you stop the run with as few guys as possible that frees up guys to be uh, help out with the pass defense which is great they're going to use a three-man front they're going to have a stand-up i call it a bandit i think they call it a jack uh end yeah. that's a two-point stance and uh, he could drop or he could rush and they call their two inside linebackers the Mac and the money linebacker. That's just kind of cool because uh, they're essentially both middle linebackers. And, you know, sometimes you hear the mic. Well, they're both middles, so they I guess they needed to, to do that. And they're kind of interchangeable. They'll switch them around. Like they not one guy's not always on the left. One guy's not always on the right. It's a, it's a formation situation that gets changed. Uh, <laughs> Thomas, they run what's called the tight front. That's T-I-T-E. That stands for tackle. I is for this two I, which we're going to talk about what that is, is what that's what the nose is in and another tackle and an end. And the end is a stand up Jack end and more of a linebacker ish edge player. So the tackles are going to typically be in three techniques, uh, give or take, maybe an outside three uh, could be a four shifting around. But the nose is where it gets interesting. They play that nose at what's called a two I. So in the numbering system of football, if you look at the center, and you are nose-to-nose -nose with the center, you're in a zero. If you're looking one eyeball to one eyeball off to the side, you're in the one. If you're in a two, you're in between the center. Or, uh, excuse me. You're, if you're at a two, you're, in, uh, the, you're looking at the eyeball of the guard. A two-eye is kind of in that gap. And sometimes what they'll do, Thomas, is they'll even angle that guy. They'll put him at – he's not square mm -hmm. to a scrimmage. He kind of has a cocked stance where he's kind of crooked. Um, but it's it's yep. to mess up the lineman. And I'm just going to tell you, as a former offensive lineman, former offensive line coach, I hate facing odd fronts. It throws yeah. all of your blocking <clears throat> because the center is typically either giving or getting help because he's uncovered. And when you put a lineman yeah. that close to the center, and the center remembers at a disadvantage, he's got to snap the ball. So that just messes things up. I, this is a great way – Kirby says this is how they they combat the screen or excuse me the the spread offenses that we see now. 
it was a very interesting concept that they try to clog the middle by doing that. They have two middle linebackers, whereas in a 4-2-5, a lot of times you end up leaving one B-gap, so the area between the guard uh, and the tackle open, and that can make a weakness for run or quick passes. That was very interesting. That, that was a way that uh, you know that they combated that. But essentially, Thomas, they want to clog up the middle of the field and they like to call it a spill and kill style of playing defense. They want to string you out. They want to make you run yeah. laterally and let their speed come get you. And yeah, so one, was- of, one of the, one of the main reasons one of the main reasons you don't see a lot of sacks out of this defense. It's not designed for that. Right. No, it's not. It's designed to to make you run outside where all the guys are waiting for you, um, where the cavalry is, so to speak. Another thing, Thomas, that I didn't know, and maybe you knew this, and I want to get your input on this. <clears throat> that Kirby tries to have what he calls a 30-30-30 philosophy. And that means 30% of the time they're in their base defense, 30% of the time they might be running a stunt, and 30% of the time they want to blitz. What are your thoughts there? I mean, obviously they don't stick to that like all, you know, it's game dictated, but what do you what do you think about that kind of philosophy? I did not know this, so uh, I always love learning something from my co-host here, so I appreciate that. Um, but that is super interesting. And, and I wonder if it's, if, if he, when he started this 30, 30, 30, it was a conscious effort, like, okay, I've got to break it down this way. Or if he just looked back and said, Hey, you know, some of my su- most successful games, I basically have a 30, 30, 30 ratio. So that's what he found as the most successful. And so that's what he does. That's interesting though. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I completely agree. And I think it's, uh, I think it's interesting, and it may be that they analytically looked and said, okay, like you said, they looked back at their script and said, hey, you know, we, we've paid base about 30% of the time. We brought some stunts about there. That's not, you know, that kind of, that might uh, be our, our recipe for success. Yeah, yeah, and what happens What happens when you're stunning and blitzing at the same time? I can't do that math. I hope their analysts can. I can't. That's why they, that's why they have those guys. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, but here's the thing, Thomas. Almost any scheme you run is going to work when you got as many four and five stars on defense Ridiculous. as Georgia has. Preseason All SEC defensive lineman Mikel Williams, thirteen. Nazar uh, Stackhouse, number seventy-eight. He's your nose. He is a monster. Think Jalen Carter. Think um, oh goodness, uh, Jordan Davis. He is a big, big boy. He is going to be a nightmare for the Gamecocks. Uh, linebacker, Jamon Dumas Johnson, number 10. He is a baller. He is a stud. He is fast. He can attack you downhill in the backfield. He can play the pass coverage. It is He is a Swiss Army knife linebacker, your modern-day linebacker, who I really, really, really like. Very strong, very strong. You got, uh, And then you've got uh, defensive backs, first-team All-SEC, is it is it uh Makai Malachi 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 that makes more sense Starks number twenty four Jevin Bullard who may be out this week with an ankle injury um that could help us a little bit uh yeah but he, take off all the help we can get yeah he's a star and then they had two or three more guys in that se- second team all SEC preseason these guys are animals there's a reason why the Philadelphia Eagles my favorite football team that didn't look all this great on Sunday but they got to win. That's, there's a reason they have so many Georgia Bulldogs on defense right now. It's because Georgia is getting top talent 
coaching them well and producing pros. And this this defense is no different. Is it as good as last year's defense? Only time will tell. I would say probably not. Is it as good as two years ago's defense? I would say absolutely not because that's a debate for another time. But that defense was just one of the best that has played in modern football. Thomas, this is going to be a massive undertaking <laughs> to have any yes. success on offense. I'm not going to get into my prediction quite yet, but can you talk a little bit? Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't get any easier when the Gamecocks are playing defense. Tell us yeah. about UGA and what they try to do and how we try to stop them. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, it's interesting. We were, we were, you and I were chatting earlier in our little uh, production meeting before starting our show here and about how it's, it's hard to get a gauge on this Georgia offense so far. Um, you know, they've, they played UT Martin and Ball State, both won those games like 45 to 7, 48 to 10, something like that. But uh, Georgia's offensive line has not been spectacular. They had 159 rush yards against UT Martin, only 99 rush yards versus Ball State, and only one of those rushes was longer than 15 yards. Now, the offensive line has, uh, you know, they in read some things there, much like South Carolina's offensive line, uh, they're not happy with their play, and um, I do think they're going to come out come out strong this week but so all the more reason that South Carolina's defensive line has to have their best game of the year because this offensive line regardless of how uh how you know underperforming they've been this season against lesser competition they're still massive and they're still Georgia's offensive line they've got a lot of veteran depth there um offensively let's not forget um the, the wonder kid, Todd Munkin, that uh, has been running the Kirby, Kirby's offense there for, what, damn it, the whole time he's been at Georgia? I no, think so. Time, was, uh, pretty uh, pretty close Ch- to it. Yeah, I think there was a year of Cheney in there or something. But uh, yeah. anyway, Todd Munkin is phenomenal, has gone on to the NFL now. And so we've got good old Mike Bobo. Everybody should be familiar Bobo with uh with with run the damn ball Bobo um right uh was the offensive coordinator here in South Carolina then went to Auburn and now he is at Georgia um so if you're a Carolina fan um you've seen Mike Bobo uh, you've seen him in action he he takes a lot of heat sometimes for not being balanced mm-hmm. when he needs to run the ball he throws the ball uh you know on fourth and one from the goal line uh, but looking at what their offense has done, um, last week, looking back at the Ball State game, just over a quarter, about 28% of Georgia's plays were RPOs, which, you know, that's that's for a Bobo offense, that's kind of impressive. Uh, they're going to want to hammer the left, uh, excuse me, they want to going to want to hammer the right side. All of their explosive carries came on the right side. So, goes back to our linebackers, we're talking about those bad angles. They've got to take better angles. I don't know if Blanton gets too amped up out there or he just – I see him take awful angles every week. It's like he sees the ball carrier or the quarterback and he just gets blinders on. Um, I think he's just cleaned up. so trying to make a big play and trying to make an impact that – he, like you said, he's over-geeked. He's just – you know that hit he put on the quarterback on what could have been a sack in the end zone, that was beautiful. And yeah, I mean, he hit the you know what out of that kid and came on a straight line missile and you know didn't throw himself into him, played great. But yeah, I agree with you. He he is overreacting to things. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's just maybe that's something that or hopefully that's something that he's going to get better at over the course of the season. I mean, let's be honest, he's still young. Uh, This is his first time starting. So we're two games in and maybe I should cut him some slack, but I don't know. I mean, this this is tough Uh, uh, because otherwise you you do what you do best on defense. This isn't some wild and crazy scheme. Again, this is run the damn ball, Bobo. So I'm running primarily nickel personnel quarters coverage. If the defensive line can play their best game and make Georgia earn every damn yard, like this, it could get interesting for a little while, for a little mm-hmm. while. And but don't let don't let Carson Beck sit back there and and pick you apart. We talked about him earlier. I, I don't really know if he's a good quarterback or not. I agree. I agree. And we ha- he hasn't been tested yet, and it's going to be interesting. You're going to have Thomas tell me what you like if you agree with this or not. I think Clayton White, you're going to have to disguise a lot of coverages. You know, you you need to trick this kid. I don't see us getting home for blitz uh, for sacks, but for that yeah. reason, you're going to have to make him look at things he doesn't expect. You know, we saw a couple times where we did some zone blitzes and we dropped linemen into coverage and brought backers. <clears throat> like you got to do some stuff like that to get him off off schedule. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because uh, I don't uh, I don't think that he's seen anything quite too exotic from UT Martin and Ball State. Right. So yeah, this is and this is also man, just like on the offensive side for South Carolina, you got nothing to lose here, man. Empty right. the playbook, empty your bag of tricks. Like right. let's let's have fun with it. Every game in the SEC is a big game. Every game. So, you know, you don't want to put too much emphasis on anything, but this is the number one team in the country. No one expects you to win out. You know, you can play the us against the world card as a coach, which is a great way to get your team fired up. You can say, guys, our own fans don't even necessarily think we can do this. I was listening to the slightly above average football fan podcast this morning, and they don't even believe in us. And they, you know, you can get your boys fired up. Somebody asked me today, what's it going to take? Like, what would what would it take for something to happen? I think it would have to be very similar to the last time we did it with, with Ryan Holinsky. That we would need the Georgia Bulldogs to turn the ball over. I think, what do we have, three interceptions in that game, I think? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, you know, you're going to have to have those types of plays. I think you also need a big special teams play, you, you know, you, or two. A blocked punt, obviously Pete Limbo and, and Beamer Ball 2.0 has, has made those plays for us at times. Please, for the love of God, can we just kick the extra point, though? Can we please just kick the extra oh, point? Gosh. I, I about yeah. had an attack when we went for two against Furman. I get yeah, it. I was not I, happy. They saw something and <laughs> just just stop. Just just kick the extra point. Please, please, yeah. please, please don't do that. Because if you lose by like one point because you went for two, in this game, That's exactly I'm, what I said. I, I'm going to, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to lose my mind. Um, so, uh, you know, but do go after punts, get aggressive, bake a punt, you know, bake a field goal, get aggressive. Um, all right. So that leads us into sort of our predictions. I mean, obviously, it's, it's pretty much the writing on the wall. You know, uh, Spencer Radler, I hope, continues to, to play well. I hope we give him better protection than we did against UNC and that he continues to find receivers. And because of that, he keeps us in the ball game for a little while. But I just think our offensive line is unfortunately going to get overwhelmed at some point. I think the running game or lack thereof is going to be a major problem. 
Uh, it's I just don't know that we have the ability uh, to to keep up with them. I, I, Thomas, you know, we haven't done a great job of stopping the run, even though they haven't had a super successful early season running game themselves. I, I don't see it going well. Unfortunately, I, I think it's going to be a very long afternoon for the Gamecocks in Athens. I think Georgia wins and they cover. Uh, Thomas, what do you think? Yeah, I think, I think, I think South Carolina has the ability to to make it uncomfortable for Georgia for maybe about a half, but I think with Georgia's depth. And I think you start getting into the second half. Uh, we've talked about this in past seasons, how Georgia can just crock pot you to death. I mean, they've got so much depth at every position. They can just have fresh legs out there. So those normally two and three yard carries in the fourth quarter turn into five, six, seven yard carries. So I think, uh, and I think South Carolina's defense is just going to be on the field so long. They're going to be gassed at that point. Um but yeah, I, I just I just hope we we come away relatively injury free, unlike the first two games. And um, and I'm looking at this game like a Georgia. I think the spread is is pretty much dead on because I'm looking like a 38-10 type of game. Yeah. And here's the thing: like I'm talking about getting creative, and so are you. But don't be reckless. You know, don't. I don't want yeah. the ball. If, don't be if, stupid. If we win the toss, defer. You need the ball in the second half. Don't set yourself up yeah. for that. You know, let's let's not necessarily if we are kicking off in the first half, let's not go onside. Like you know, like you do need to get tricky. You do need to reach in your bag, but don't be, don't be recklessly aggressive. You know, like don't. It's not you're not a ten year old playing EA Sports. Like have some logic. Now, if it's fourth and medium, and you're in the you know in the red zone or you're across your own fifty, screw it, go for it. You know, like especially if Spencer's been hot, you know, if if it's, you know, third and long on defense, don't just sit back, like send somebody and see if you can pressure him into, into an interception. But, you know, you can't blitz every down. You can't throw it every down. Be smart, but be aggressive, be creative. Um, but unfortunately, I think we both agree. I think 38-10 is pretty much the score. I mean, I think that's the score on the number. Um, all right, Thomas, other big games. Uh, this isn't a huge game. But it is just because of the hype train that's been rolling through Colorado. I love it. I love it. The Buffs are going to play Colorado State, their main rival. Um, It's in Boulder, and uh, game day is coming. I can't wait to see Coach Prime on game day. He is going to be blinged out, and he is going to be talking that noise. I've always loved Dion, but like Coach Prime Dion, I bet. Listen, I'm a fan. Um, I just love that he doesn't play the game, Thomas. He doesn't get he is uh, so, say what is, is Colorado gonna is Colorado gonna have game day at home this weekend and, and then they're gonna go to Eugene, Oregon for game day as well, maybe? Maybe they might. They might. If, if you know they win this game, Oregon takes care of business. I'm not even sure who Oregon's playing. That could potentially be at least a top 15 matchup. Uh, you know, I don't know another game in, in town that's going to be a bigger game. Um, I'm looking and I'm not seeing much. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Hope he keeps playing well. Love that Shador is playing so good. Uh, I love it. I, I just, I truly love it. Uh, Thomas, you put up on here on the board a great point. Tennessee at Florida. What, what are your thoughts there? 
interesting. It could get really interesting because uh, still, you know, allegedly after Tennessee's uh, lackluster win over Austin P last week, they had one of those infamous player-only meetings, which I think oh, yeah. are, are far too often blown way out of proportion. Uh, it's probably something they do every Sunday, so I don't see what the big deal is. But right. um, So I'm sure a lot of Vol fans are getting fired up about that because they want to come out and murder Florida. Uh, Graham Mertz has not looked terrible for Florida, notwithstanding mm-hmm. the fact that they, as a team, hasn't looked that great. But um, this game is in the swamp, so it could be interesting. I think Tennessee's gonna going to take this one. Um, I've, I mean, I hate both of these teams, so I'm not pulling for either one of them. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It'll be interesting. Um, you're right. Florida or Tennessee, you know, didn't have a great outing last weekend. You know, I agree with you. The whole players only meeting thing is, is just so overblown. Um, it's just, you know, a very, you know, stereotypical thing at this point. Oh, we're having a little struggles. Players only meeting. So, like, what are, what are y'all talking about in there? Hey, we got to play better. Oh, okay. Well, why didn't you tell me that already? I mean, now I know. Yeah. The, um, the, yeah. And then the, the, the punters in the back of the room, like, this couldn't this have been an email, guys? Exactly. Like, guys, I, I could be playing some video games right now. Like, do I have to be here for this? Uh, all right, Thomas. So, for our fans, let's make sure on social media, check us out on Twitter or X uh, on Instagram at, at SAA football fan at SAA football fan. You can email us at that same thing at SAA football fan at gmail.com. If you want to have your mail, your message read out, uh, next week on our show, uh, and enjoy us, uh, enjoy football with us this Saturday. Hopefully the Gamecocks will prove us wrong and pull off the monumental upset. And Thomas and I will gladly talk about how wrong we were next week. But unfortunately, I just don't see that happening. <laughs> Thomas, as we head out the door, tell the people whatever you want to tell them. I want to send a message to Kirby Smart. Kirby. What is you doing, baby? You are a two-time national championship winner, back-to-back, number one in the country. You got four and five stars all over the field. What is this Dabo Sweeney manufactured fluff that you're trying to give your team bulletin board material because Tonka Hemingway did not disrespect Sanford Stadium. He did not disrespect Georgia fans. Kirby, come on. You're better than that. Find some joy. See ya. See ya.